0: Good morning, Pat. It's a pleasure and an honor to be with you. Um, I will put this slide up a little bit later, but um, I'm just going to give everyone in the district a copy of my ebook if you want to download it. And so that link will be active all day today. And if you don't get that copied down, um, we'll we'll put it up there again, and you'll be able to, to copy that. But you'll just put that into Safari on your iPad. And then you can download that um, ebook that I've been working on the past year, which will tell you a lot more than I'll have time to do today in the forty or so minutes that we have together. Did you have a favorite cartoon on Saturday morning growing up? What cartoon did you like, or what was what do you remember? You remember when that was a special time because they came on Saturday and it was a big deal, right? And it's been, you know, happening for a while, but Saturday mornings have changed. And I took this picture back in 2010 on the couch in our living room in Oklahoma, um, and my kids weren't watching cartoons. They were, they were playing things. Now, I just retook this picture about a month ago. And what I noticed was the devices, what other people have noticed are the legs, because the legs have gotten a lot longer. You know, my son is a sophomore, my youngest in the middle there is uh, fourth grade, and I have eighth grader. But, you know, we're no longer just one-to-one, are we? What are we? We're two to one. We're using multiple devices. And you've probably heard people talk about the second screen. We see more with, you know, uh, sports and and primetime television. Here's the hashtag for Twitter, you know, come and chat with us. Um, Things have been changing. And I love this quotation from Arthur C. Clarke about magic. Because even though we may have different words to describe the devices in our pockets and our purses, it really is magical to think that we're able to communicate across space and time, being able to pull in information, being able to not just access but communicate in ways that... Definitely would have seemed magical just a just, you know, a decade or two ago. So who has got their wand ready today? Who's got their smartphone? Who's got their iPad? I'm a big Harry Potter fan. And in fact, I did a presentation recently where that was the whole metaphor was welcome to Hogwarts because we're kind of there both with the good side and the dark side. Right. Because we have the opportunity to make choices with these devices. Doing some research this summer, I was amazed to learn that the iPad 2, so this is what I have here, this old technology from 2011, at the time it came out, this has the processing power of the Cray supercomputer in 1985, which until the early 1990s was the fastest computer on the planet. Did you ever think you'd be holding in your hand for your personal use a computing device more powerful than a Cray supercomputer. I don't think I ever really thought that was going to happen. Do you remember when Microsoft Office really defined digital literacy? You know, knowing Word, knowing Excel, knowing PowerPoint. A lot of us in our headspace when we think about digital literacy, are still here. We're still thinking about Microsoft Office. Did you see the news about Steve Ballmer recently? Do you know what Microsoft's trying to do? Desperately reinvent themselves for the new world because they have really missed the boat when it comes to handheld mobile technology. At our ISTE conference in San Antonio, Texas, Microsoft gave everyone who wanted to a Windows RT tablet valued at $600. Why did they do that? Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but I'm thinking they just, you know, wrote off millions of dollars on a device that's really not that popular and is really not the device that most people want in their hands and in their pocket or their purse to be computing today. Do you remember the opaque projector? <laughs> you remember how magical that was? Also, though, do you remember how hot the bulb would get? Did you ever fear setting fire to instructional materials because they were going to be so close to that bulb? Well, there's many ways to talk about this. This is from July of 2013, and it's a graph showing what happens every 60 seconds. In January of 2012, we learned that there is a full hour of YouTube being up... Or, sorry, (laughs) let me restate that. In January of 2012, 60 hours of video were being uploaded to YouTube every 60 seconds. By July, that number has grown to 72 hours of video per minute for 60 seconds, and all of these other things are happening every 60 seconds: 20 million new photo views on Flickr, 278,000 more posts on um, on uh, on Twitter. Um, is Pinterest there? Yeah, 11,000 new active users. Who's a Pinterest user out there? Anybody? Why is Pinterest so great? Because it's all about text, right? Written text. No, it's about visual. It's about images. And it's about sharing. It's about being able to collect stuff, things that you're interested in, and being able to share it with others. And then be connected with those folks on an ongoing basis. Anybody gotten a classroom idea because of Pinterest? Uh, Bob Sprankle gave me a a, a ride today to come to to school. We were talking about fairy, um, not castles, what are we trying to say? In In the woods, fairy houses, right. So my wife saw on Pinterest these fairy houses, and when we went camping for the July week, that's what we did, you know. How are you influenced, and what makes a difference? Well, my mom cooks food that she finds, you know, online from food bloggers. And, and serves that to us when we go home and to my dad. We, we built fairy houses this summer because of Pinterest. You know, it's a crazy world. Today I'm going to invite you and I'm going to remind myself that we have opportunities to be bridges. To be bridge builders. Because we are living in a time of dramatic change. When many of us do still remember the opaque projector, the 16-millimeter projector, the film strip projector. You remember how hard it used to be to bring media into your classroom? It used to be really hard. And today, it is easier, but there's also a lot of other complexities around that. And we have an opportunity to build bridges. Because even though you all have far more access here in Maine than we do in Oklahoma in most of our schools with digital devices, there's still a lot of divides that separate us. And those are divides not just with devices, but also with our our heads and our brains. One of the encouragements I want to share with you today is to be making this shift from primarily consuming and having our students consume information to being a producer, to being a sharer. How many of us are on Pinterest, but we're mainly uh, lurkers, we're mainly watchers? Okay. there's going to be my wife is there. She doesn't share a lot on Pinterest. Okay. who's a sharer? Does anybody love to share on Pinterest? See, there's a few of them. This is something relatively new. We've been able to create, but not on a global stage. Right. I'm on the stage here and the Internet can be a lot of things. But one thing it can be is a stage for sharing a way for you to share things and to access things, but a way for your students to share things and access things. And the revised Bloom's taxonomy, which I'm sure we all studied this at some point, um, the uh, the earlier version, at least. I I did my master's before 2001, so we did the earlier version. But when it was revised, creation was put at the top. And the idea is if we ask students to create, it's not a silver bullet, but in many cases we can not only do the lower level knowledge and comprehension learning, but also the higher order thinking that is so vital and the creativity, which oftentimes gets left out. So, this is a lot of text, I know, but I, I'll throw this in because Common Core definitely opens the door. Ah! Was this even on? Okay. Uh. Common Core opens the door for digital literacy, and so this is where digital writing is in the Common Core Literacy Standards from kindergarten through 12th grade. Does it say your kids need to use boo and record a short narrated you know, um, recording about their favorite book? No, it doesn't say that the app in the specific context, but it does say by 12th grade, kids are integrating and evaluating multiple sources of information in different formats, different media formats, to address questions and problems. And they're able to present. Look at that in 8th grade. To present a particular topic. So students are not just consuming. They are creating. They are producing. And they are doing it with media. Who knows where I took this picture? I'll give you a hint. It's near Yarmouth. I'll give you another hint. It starts with days. Right? So this is a great place. When As soon as I landed in Manchester... My rental car and I were headed to Days because I was going to Freeport. And I use this not only when I get a chance to come to Maine, but in other places to talk about a menu. This is not an Oklahoma City menu, okay? We do have Red Lobster and we've got Joe's Crab Shack. That's about, you know, the extent of our our, uh, serious seafood places. There's stuff on the menu here my kids have not ever had before. There's stuff on the menu here that my kids might be afraid to try. And I'm not going to force my children, this is Wes the dad saying, I'm not going to force my kids to eat everything on this menu. In fact, there might be some stuff I'm not really excited about myself, I'm not sure. But I am going to try things and I'm going to model that for my kids and I'm going to invite them to experience some of this new menu. And we need to be doing a similar thing with technology. The first ebook I wrote in 2011 called Playing with Media talks about four different kinds of media we need to share. Digital text, images, audio, and video. And I don't think this is limited to just teachers. I think this is true of us as a society. If you're in a, a club organization, if you're in a church, if you're in some kind of service group, if you're in any kind of organization that wants to raise money, recruit people to be involved, you want to get your message out, right? You need to communicate with people. And if we're limited to just text, boy, we are not even scratching the surface of what we can do today. So th- these are important skills for everyone. For the past year, I've been working hard on a framework for digital literacy because I sort of uh, audaciously think we need to reinvent what it means when we say in school, I'm digitally literate. And there are 12 different products on this framework that I think we should all be creating. Today, I'm just going to talk about a few, but I'm going to talk mainly about an ebook, interactive writing, and maybe a little bit about a narrated slideshow. Although, you might not get to that, and that's fine, because you will have a code for this ebook which talks about the first six. So it goes through that in detail and the website right now, if you've got a device, if you just put in into Google mapping media, this site will come up first and you can click on any of these and see examples of student projects, apps that you can run on your iPad to make that kind of a product and then suggestions for how you might go about doing that with students. David Warlick is a phenomenal educator from North Carolina and he's written several books and he was one of the first people I read years ago who talked about redefining literacy for the 21st century. And I like maps. I'm a geography guy. And so I think we're redrawing the map. Um, there's stuff we don't know because it's being developed as we, as we exist here today. And we, are on the, the, we have the potential to be on sort of the front lines or to be the pioneers of, of redrawing the map for digital literacy. One of the saddest things that I've noticed working with teachers and working with kids when it comes to, to iOS devices specifically, I'm talking iPod Touches and iPads, are a lot of, of adults will see a device like this and they see an arcade. They see Pac-Man. And can I play? Could I actually play Pac-Man? I mean, the, the game on it? I think I could. I, are there other apps I could play? And just, yeah, I sure could. I can use this uh, in in kind of an isolated way to... Learn skills. And that can be a great thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing to use this device by myself. But here's what I want to encourage us to do today. Think of the computer. And yes, your iPad and iPhone and whatever smart devices you have that are, that are connected to the Internet today. Our computers as an imagination machine. That's language that Seymour Papert, who is the father of MLTI, right, here in Maine. He's the one that influenced Angus King to say, I think we need to give all students a device. That's his language from his book, The Children's Machine. Thinking about these tools as bridges to creativity because we don't want, in my mind, to just use these devices to do school the way we've always done school because school the way we've always done it hasn't always been great. Meeting individual student needs, differentiating learning to meet where kids are with their reading level, with their knowledge and understanding, that's sort of the golden chalice that we're all trying to pursue. And when we try to all do the same thing at the same time, we really have trouble meeting student needs. So your devices can be used to produce and create. I did go to school for a while to, to add some initials to my name, and that was I'm really glad that's done. I don't want to write another dissertation. But of all the things that I learned in my program, this is probably the most important, um, and it comes from a guy named John Dewey, who you've probably heard of before. Dewey says, we remember what we do. Can you say that with me, please? We remember what we do. We need to be constantly making stuff in school, because you and I can think of a lot of times, probably, that we're in a class, and we don't remember a heck of a lot. It might be because the teacher was just talking, and we weren't doing, and we weren't making so before I talk a little bit about ebooks, I want us to sort of take a step back from technology and remember something critically important. This is my son, who you saw the older picture of him. This is him in third grade with Mrs. Fitzgerald. He did not have a great third grade year because Mrs. Fitzgerald had a smart board. You didn't have a great third grade year because your teacher had a film strip projector or a 16 millimeter projector or whatever the technology of the time was. If you had a great year... It was probably because of relationship. It was because your teacher knew you and challenged you and helped meet your needs. And this is a fundamental, important thing missing from a lot of the dialogue that we have today about education. Too many people today believe in the power of testing and the power of technology rather than the power of words and passionate people. I don't have this in the slide deck, but I recently heard this phrase and I love it. Your word is your wand. Your word is your wand. Think about how powerful words are. Have you received a text message recently that's touched your heart? Has your significant other said, I love you, in a text message? Have you, as have, your child? You know? I, I just learned that you can FaceTime now over the 4G and LTE internet uh, from AT&T anywhere. So my daughter, who's in fourth grade, has FaceTimed me like five times yesterday and today. You know? And she's texted me things. I love you. How powerful is that? Well, How about the contrary to that? When kids receive a text message to say, you're ugly, I hate you. Why did you come to our school? I hope you die. Oh my gosh, there's a lot of power there. So we have responsibility as parents and as teachers to help kids make good choices with technology. And I think it's really important to remember relationship is the basis of good learning. So, in order to emphasize this point, I would like to show you one of the most amazing videos I've ever seen on YouTube. Who's seen this video? It only has, as of today, 3.6 million views. It's been the featured video on Google Search Stories for the past year, and it features one of your own, Cheryl Oaks, who is going to talk about... was going to talk about, yes, technology, but also relationship, and I think make this point quite powerfully. So let's take a look at this. Morgan was diagnosed with her learning disability at four years old, so that was pre-K kindergarten. When she was diagnosed, it was overwhelming, so I started researching Everything that I found was just, you know, she'll never ride a bike, she'll never do this, she'll never do that. It's just devastating. Many of our special ed students have grown up learning that they can't do it. They've been enabled in some cases because we just haven't had tools to allow them to be independent. My job is to give them the skills and the tools to make them independent learners years ago she had a research paper to do they would take him to the library she was left on her own to find books which is too overwhelming it's a needle in a haystack for her just handwriting is difficult for her so if she can speak into something it's not a struggle anymore it's not a fight women in the revolutionary war voice search just takes an inefficient search and gets rid of that and goes right to the topic that they're looking for. Then they can put a reading level in and self-select what they're able to read and understand. They've saved time, they found something that they can read, and they've been successful. They have to have that push to see the bright side of things she'll look and say wow i did that you know so we don't hear i can't as much as we used to I mean color guard when she came home and said she wanted to go to a color guard meeting i immediately called up the coach and said we need to talk because she has uh, spatial issues and we're giving her a six-foot pole <laughs> Yeah, <You know? laughs> but she does it she is an amazing girl um, she makes us proud every day Those things have really helped Morgan from being Morgan the student with a learning disability to Morgan the student with the possibilities for her future. So I'd like you to turn to your neighbor and... If you don't know your neighbor, introduce yourself. You may know your neighbor already. Um, and I'd like for you to just briefly—I'll give you 60 seconds—talk about what's a message from that video that you feel is very positive and that you're very happy. 3.6 million people on the planet have have seen that video. Okay, talk about that. Go. side, but I love the uh, website online-stopwatch.com. It's pretty handy. You don't have to have any special software to run it. You just visit online-stopwatch, click full screen, you put in what you want, and go. On my iPad, there's an app called Timer Plus. It doesn't have a space between plus and timer, and that's my favorite one for for doing that with the iPad. Um, There are 1,746 miles um, that separate Oklahoma City from Wells. But here's the amazing thing. I learn from Cheryl, from Bob, from Alice, from many others. They're my yodas of learning at the speed of light thanks to these connections that we have. Those messages in that video are very powerful. Okay? They're powerful to me living in Oklahoma not knowing Morgan. I am sure they resonate more strongly here because this is your, this is your town. This is your video. So I want to encourage you to share that video locally. Because if you have parents and you've got board members or you've got business community members, whoever, that haven't seen that, that don't know some of those positive things going on right here in the school, we need to tell them, right? Because we can be sure the media is going to pick up on every negative story that happens. A fight video that gets posted a sexting incident that happens at school, you know, you name it. And there are people waiting to come out and say, I told you so, we didn't need to buy any of that new technology because all they're going to do is bad stuff. And that's absolutely not true. It is time for us, I think, to reclaim creativity in our classroom. Monday, Grant Wiggins, you know, UBD, um, Grant Wiggins is kind of the guru, he is the guru of UBD, right? He wrote this on his blog and I won't read the whole thing, but he observes that many of us as educators have become less creative, more timid and unimaginative, have lost pride in our work, have been browbeaten by scores and encouraged to do test prep and in short, encouraged to teach worse rather than to do better. And while you and I can't change the legislation, I don't think I don't have that power. We can decide things that our kids are asked to do in class. We can structure assignments and the kinds of learning that takes place. And so, has anybody told you this with the iPad or the laptop? If you buy this, your test scores will go up. Is that true? No, it's not. I say this wearing my Apple shirt. I don't work for Apple. But it is not true. You can't just buy a device and give people the device and have their learning go up. Larry Cuban wrote a great book about this, about Silicon Valley in the early 2000s, called Oversold and Underused, No Significant Difference. You can't say putting computers in the classroom, "Ah, it's the magic bullet, suddenly we're all learning. In fact, technology is an amplifier, and I know I'm not saying anything new to you all. If you have classroom management trouble, if you had classroom management trouble before technology. And everyone had a device. What does that look like now? It amplifies it, right? Here's what does improve student achievement. We know this from the Marzano, I think 2003 book, Classroom Instruction That Works. These are strategies which improve student achievement. Providing recognition, time on task, parent involvement, non-linguistic representation. What's that? That's a fancy way of saying drawing pictures. Unfortunately, in our typical school situation, we're very biased against... Um, the visual against the creative. We think it needs to be linguistic. Give me Roman numeral outline. You know, that's what notes look like. But the research says if you get your kids drawing and creating visual representations of concepts and then you get them to talk about those things, that will improve student achievement. So let me tell you a story. Ebooks are exciting, but they're also controversial. Raise your hand if you know someone who laments the loss of the book. You might be that person. Okay? But here's the thing about books. Books are something which you don't have to explain to a parent the value of making, whether it's an ebook or a paper book. And a couple years ago, my, my daughter Rachel brought me a story that she had written in class. And she had helped me. She did the artwork actually for my first ebook. And so she said, Dad, I want to make an ebook. I want to record my voice and make this ebook available. So we spent about three hours on a Saturday. And I think she recorded it like there's seven chapters. And I think she did it about 20 times so we had to do it over multiple times. But we did it. You can go to meet right now or rachelfryer.com and you can download your own copy to your, your um, iPad. But the thing I realized was, if it requires a parent or an adult stepping in and working for three hours on a Saturday to get it made, it's not gonna happen a lot in school. So, about maybe a few months after that, Rachel, well, I was invited by the principal of Rachel's school to share about technology and I was thrilled because I would never been asked to do that. I've offered that and you're never a prophet in your own land. How many miles do you have to go before you're considered the expert? This is true, okay, if you don't know that, it's true. So I was excited and I asked Rachel if she would share with me and we shared for, with the teachers. And you know what we did? We overshared. We scared everyone to death because Rachel makes puppet pal videos, she plays club penguin, she has written these ebooks, she's just done all this stuff. We have a blog for our family and nobody asked us for help after we were done. <laughs> So that was a big failure for me because I wanted to help the teachers, even in a small way, just set up a website that the kids could write on and the parents could comment on. And it didn't happen. So fast forward to this past March before spring break, I went to a conference. It was actually South by Southwest and I presented for a a group and they paid me with an iPad mini. My kids thought that was pretty cool. But they didn't like what I said next. I said, I don't think we need this in our house. I want to loan this to Ms. Moore. And so I met with her third grade teacher. And for 15 minutes, I showed her the the app Book Creator. And I fully expected after spring break, I said, here, keep this iPad. You can have it the rest of the year. I'll come in. I'd love to help, you know, with the kids. And and Ms. Moore never called. And she never emailed. But Rachel came home one day and said, we're making e-books. And so... What they ended up doing over the course of several weeks was every child picked a book that was a, their favorite, they wrote a paragraph about it, and then the students recorded their voice reading their story. And at the end of the year, after the award ceremony, Mrs. Moore played that for parents and for all the kids, and we printed copies of the book too on lulu.com. It cost 13 bucks to print each one. But every child got a copy of the book with Mrs. Moore writing a nice note to them and, and uh, signing it. And I'd like to play just a little bit of this book for you. And as we watch this, I want you to think about what's valuable about this project. The fact that it's an ebook. What really makes it special? This is a picture of Jack climbing up the beanstalk. He is looking at his house. His mom and cat are looking at him. If you look closely, his mom is waving at him. The caterpillar was so hungry that it ate a lot of food. The next day was packed. Please, will you give us some of your concrete? Beaver said the second wolf. Certainly, said Beaver. He gave them buckets full of concrete. Right away, they started building before the big bad pig showed up. All right. So I'm not going to play the whole thing for you. Um, what would you say is good about that? Somebody just volunteer an answer. What's What's positive about this? Writing. The writing, right? We're doing writing. We're celebrating student writing and recognizing writing. What else? Differentiation. Reading. Different levels. Differentiation. Different levels. Everyone participates. There's 22 different pages, and everyone did it successfully. What else? Just, Creativity. There was the art. There were different, you know, in fact, here, I'll, I'll play this and mute. I mute this. Um, you know, it's, it's different. Uh, kids didn't all create the same thing. What about the voice aspect? Is that significant? It's huge, right? And does Common Core say anything about oral language fluency? Yeah, it does. How are we going to get our kids better at oral language fluency? We're going to have to practice, right? And simply recording your voice and hearing yourself speak it, you know, speak and, and read is a wonderful way to, be, to increase your self-awareness and to get better. So how much did it cost us to distribute this e-book to all the parents and grandparents that wanted it? The e-book, you know, nothing extra, right? We had to have an iPad to make it and we had to have book creator. Now, the print version cost money, but the e-version didn't cost any money. And being able to have the book plus, right? You still have the text. You still have images. But I feel like it's the Ginsu knife. There's more. You also get the student voice. And that's huge. It's gigantic. So this was my epiphany, student agency and voice. It didn't take me three hours on a Saturday to do this. In fact, Mrs. Moore didn't need me at all once she saw the basics and started working with her kids because they figured it out together. And I think we need to be using this whole idea of the book to help build bridges, to help win hearts and minds, to help people understand that we're not losing text. We're not losing, um, you know, some of the essential parts of the book that we love, but we can also get additional things. There's a lot of things that are good about that project. So that app is called Book Creator for iPad, especially for secondary teachers here. I would bring your attention to another app called Creative Book Builder. That app will let you pull in different media elements, videos, recordings from YouTube, from your Dropbox, from Google Drive, and you can completely build that on the iPad. Um, it would be a great thing to do this year with students to be building some ebooks. But that's kind of complicated. Building a book. It's a little bit more complicated than where we can start. So let's talk a little bit about interactive writing. Do you all have any parents here in in Maine that are arguing about the value of books? I'm not talking specific books. I'm not saying that particular book, but probably not, right? I don't think we've got a lot of controversy in Oklahoma about a lot of things, but we don't have parents coming in and saying, what are you doing with all these books? You know, (laughs) what are you doing getting these kids writing? You're writing. So... I heard Caleb Black present at our Heartland eLearning Conference in March in Edmond, which is north of Oklahoma City, and he's a college professor, and he said this about the typical college writing process. Maybe you've seen this happen in K-12 school too. Students write, the teacher reads, and no one cares. Caleb suggests we need to shift and transform what we do so instead students collaborate, the teacher guides and edits, and everyone can learn and benefit. And so in their college class, they are creating their textbook using a wiki like Wikipedia. It's a document that multiple people can edit and they can moderate and change. And they're building that together. Do you have a cell phone with you or a mobile device of some kind? Why don't you get it out? I'd like to do a quick poll. I'm going to click on this link and we're going to go online to Poll Everywhere, where I've set up this poll. And you can answer this poll two ways. First of all, the question is, Last year, how many assignments did you invite students and parents, others, to comment on interactively? If you go to the website pollev.com slash you can do that on your Safari browser. But if you want to use your cell phone, the way that you're going to do it is you're going to open up a new text message. You're going to send it to the number 37607. So you don't put in somebody's phone number. You're putting 37607, and then in the text message, you vote. So you put the number of your vote. If you didn't do that last year, you're going to put 48701. If you did it one time, 48702, et cetera. If you did that more than five times last year, you're going to put um, 48704. And so this is, this is called Poll Everywhere. Um, the free polls allow us to have up to 25 responses. Um, I actually, they upgraded my account because I use it sometimes when I present and Poll Everywhere likes that. So I think I can have like 250 responses. So You can pay for more. Um, but for a typical class of around 25 students, you can, you can do this poll for free. And it's pretty fancy the way that it dynamically shows the results, you know, that are coming in. Um, you, of course, could use Google Forms to be able to do polls and surveys like this. There's other kinds of tools. So we've got 37 results that have come in, and this is a, a fairly typical response. We've, we've got, um, what, six people who've said um, more than five times. We've, you've, you've got some folks who are doing this already. But in most schools today in the United States, when, we at, when I ask this question, it's a similar kind of graph. This was the graph in Houston, Texas, in Fort Bend ISD last summer. Uh, We had 156 responses, 78% of teachers. I've never done that before. Um, This was the result uh, at the Discovery Educator Institute last summer in Bozeman, Montana. Teachers were applied to go, and they had to show the kinds of technology and innovative things they were doing with their students. That's a different sample set right there. That's not your typical um, cross-section of teachers. Two weeks ago, I went to Moore, Oklahoma, where you may know on May the 20th, we had a devastating F5 tornado. And I had not been back there since the tornado. Um, our church had housed folks who were um, on rebuilding teams and, you know, given money. And, and especially right afterwards, they said, don't come down here. We don't, you know, we don't need more people. It was unbelievable. This literally was just raised to the ground. And I'm looking to the southwest uh, where the tornado came from here And, you know, there was an elementary school that was just right there on the horizon that used to be there. And I thought of a lot of things when I was here. But one of them was about foundations because we saw people building a new foundation. There were storm shelters that had survived. And when we think about classroom learning, we need to be building a strong foundation. One of the things we need as a foundation for learning today is an interactive space where we can share the work that students do, and we can get feedback. We can moderate it so stuff doesn't get posted until we approve it, but parents can view that, other peers can view that, other people in other parts of the world can view that. So I'll tell you a a couple fast stories, and then I think I'll be out of time. This is uh, Alexander, my son, and we went to Philmont Scout Ranch last summer For two weeks backpacking, it was the longest I'd been disconnected from the internet since I was connected, like which goes back a while. It was great. We had a great trip. He wrote a poem at the beginning of that year, his eighth grade year, called The Fire, and his teacher had him type it up and put it on a poster board in the classroom. Now, for several years, I have forced my children to write on our blog. And in cases like this where they've already written, it's easy. Hey, Alex, will you go ahead and post that online? And generally, they're pretty amenable to this. Sure, I'll, I'll share that. Why do you think I wanted him to put that online? Because other people could see it. And maybe there'd be some comments. I won't read you the whole poem. But the last two years, we've had a severe drought in Oklahoma. And it's even worse in Texas. And so there's some really powerful metaphors that he had here and talking about fire. We had friend, friends that had to evacuate their houses east of I-35 when we had, you know, fire that was, um, you know, in our area. So he posted it and I kind of forgot about it. I did put on Twitter, hey, my son's posted a poem, but, but I kind of forgot about it. Well. Here are some comments that came in. Who do you think Nana is who's there in the middle? (laughs) That would be my mom. And does she usually get to see his work when he does stuff for school? No, usually not. So she has a little comment, and Emma Cutmore leaves a comment. But what about Joyce McGreevy? She says, what a powerful narrative poem, Alexander. Marvelous use of figurative language and suspense-building repetition. Thank you for sharing it with us. Keep writing. You have a gift. Best wishes, Joyce McGreevy, author, Sierra Club Books, and editor of National Geographic School Publishing. What? (laughs) I know the journalism's in trouble, right? But what is this? They pay folks at National Geographic to do this? Oh, no, this was at at 9.38 p.m. Central Time on August the 15th. So I think she was on her own time. Wow, that was pretty significant. One of the reasons you might want to consider getting on Twitter is a project called Comments for Kids. Because it used to just be a website, but now it's a hashtag, and it's the number four, Comments for Kids. And we could go right now online and search Twitter for that hashtag. And here's a live list of posts, mostly by teachers, who are asking for attention. Here's... Oh, wow, Shiku, China. Somebody I'm not following. We're a grade three class in China looking to be global citizens and share our learning with others and connect around the world. So I checked out who that was. I click on her site. And here are posts. Looks like they've been writing haikus. And so here's a haiku about Antarctica. And I could comment on that, and my class could. Every time I teach a a class with teachers showing interactive writing, I show comments for kids. Why? Because we can connect to how teachers right now are using this tool, what? To connect their kids to the world. That's one of the reasons we need to be connected professional educators, because it gives us a chance to help our kids be on the stage and to put their best foot forward. So KidBlog is one site that you can use to do that kind of thing. I have more slides than I have time for, so I'm going to skip to the end. We're done at 12, right? Okay. In fact, I think we're done. (laughs) Um, Let me just close with a couple thoughts. My dad pulled this out of our garage a couple years ago. And this is a scrapbook that he kept in his elementary years. He was born in 1940 in Powell, Wyoming. And in this scrapbook, there's a photograph of him in third grade which I think was pretty cool, but there were his report card was in here, too. And we don't have comments every six weeks. We've got numbers, but we've got some comments. But we do have original signatures of my grandparents who have both passed, and that's pretty cool. And as I pulled this out and we looked at it and we talked about it, it made me think, what should Rachel's report card look like this year? It definitely doesn't look like that. There's some more details, but there's a lot of similarities. How should it be different? There should be media. There should be a digital portfolio. There should be her voice being recorded, reading. There should be things that she's made and she's created that help show what she knows and what she can do. I think we're in a battle for hearts and minds because a lot of people do not ascribe to change with learning or with technology. And I want to encourage you this school year to make stuff with your kids, not just digitally, but digital is a great way to record that, right, and share it. Um, You've got your wand, do you have it with you? You got it in your purse, you got it in your pocket? Your kids do too, and we need to help them use these magical devices in effective ways. So my challenge to you is this, the next time you have a parent conference, I want you to have more media than you had last time to help the parent understand, here's what your child is doing. Here's where your child is with their writing. Here's where they are with their understanding of what we've been studying in class. We're going exciting places together. We need to be making new things together. We need to, to expand our menu. And uh, I hope you read the ebook. I hope you share it with others. And I look forward to hearing about the great things happening here in Wells. Thank you. You're listening to Fuel for Educational Change Agents, an audio podcast channel including a variety of audio recordings by and recorded by Wesley Fryer, published for educators worldwide interested in free audio-based professional development. This is a supplementary podcast channel complementing moving at the Speed of Creativity podcast, which typically includes longer and lightly edited or unedited audio recordings. Learn more and access these podcasts on audio.speedofcreativity.org. All content on this podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Alike 3.0 United States license.